This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, Season 3, Episode 4, A Blade of Grass. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. We're talking about Penny Dreadful Season 3, Episode 4, A Blade of Grass. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. Welcome to the Dark Side. I am one of your other hosts, John. Ooh, it is getting darker. <laughs> it is. Am I a blade of grass or a dandelion? Mm, yeah, I think a blade of grass. Everybody's a blade of grass. Yes. <laughs> Things have changed quite a lot since we started doing these podcasts about Penny Dreadful. We were trying to bank quite a few of them um, to make sure that we had them all available in all 26 episodes, 27 episodes of the show recorded before Penny Dreadful City of Angels began. And then COVID-19 hit around the world and... Uh, it's been kind of interesting seeing how things have changed quite significantly. Yes, definitely. I think we're just into um, the final stretch of a four-week lockdown, mm-hmm. basically. Two weeks of official, but I think for both of us working from home for two weeks before that. Yep. Um, certainly a lot of stuff going on um, for for people to keep uh, children, pets themselves entertained distracted continuing to work from home uh, getting to grips with all sorts of things so uh, we hope that uh, if you've had chance uh, you've been able to follow along with the penny dreadful podcast here mm-hmm. on dreadful podcast and um, certainly been really enjoying penny dreadful um, and cannot wait to to get into City of Angels when that comes out on the 26th of April. Certainly a lot of TV now has been postponed or put back at least just either because of uh, production issues that have needed to be closed down. So all our Marvel stuff for this year really is going to be um, put back considerably. Yeah. Um, and of course, with films as well. So, uh, yeah, it will be interesting times. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly enough, though, I've um, been seeing a lot of things in the podcast kind of arena to suggest that people maybe aren't listening to podcasts um as much as you would think mm-hmm. with uh, the lockdowns in place um but i suppose there's a lot of extra things to do um or even people are just finding the time to do stuff that they've been putting off for a long time yeah. so yeah it's uh, it's tough times yeah well i know commuting was definitely when i listened to podcasts most and, yeah absolutely you know, definitely listen to podcasts when other people are in the house is really difficult as well you know you want to have it have the earphones in your ears and, and listen to it i'm sure there's a lot of people who would listen to podcasts um you know cleaning the house and doing things when they're at home on their own uh, in the house but when you're surrounded by family and kids maybe not uh, the best thing to be listening to podcasts so we thank you so much for joining us this time and we do hope we're providing a little bit of entertainment and a good look back at Penny Dreadful as we get towards the end. Because this is part seven of our eight-part retrospective series, so we only have one big part left uh, as we go in, as we go to the close of uh, of Penny Dreadful, the first three seasons before we get into City of Angels. 
Yeah. Um, and certainly we're, we're about midway through with our coverage of episode four, Blade of Grass, uh, for those who are listening to the individual uh, episode podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we've been saying, we've been releasing these podcasts first over on Patreon. You can see them at patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries. Donate any amount over there and get access to all of the individual episodes. We're also releasing individual episodes over on dreadfulpodcast.com. And then these main ones, these big gathered together episodes are releasing on tvpodcastindustries.com our main feed for all of our podcasts yeah so please pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can go to any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice you can check out penny dreadful city of angels our recent star trek uh, picard coverage there's also watchmen the boys and good omens Mm -hmm. from last year as well as Pennyworth, which was the Alfred Pennyworth um, kind of almost follow-up, I suppose, to Gotham uh, by the creators of Gotham. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, all our back catalogue of Marvel movies and the Marvel Netflix shows, which, yeah, Daredevil, it's five years today that uh, it got released on Marvel, season one of Daredevil, um, on Netflix, I should say. Mm -hmm. So. 2015. Gosh, I was going to say 1995 there. <laughs> 2015. <laughs> that's how old I am. Uh, yes, ten, five years. So uh, yeah, five years podcasting about the Marvel stuff. But yes, also we did have five seasons of Gotham as well that we podcasted about. All available on our feed over in TV Podcast Industries. But without further ado, let's get into our discussion about Season 3, Episode 4 of Penny Dreadful, A Blade of Grass. This episode was directed by Tau Frazier. This is his only episode of Penny Dreadful that he, uh, that he directed. Uh, but we have spoken about him a few times before funnily enough mentioning daredevil he directed daredevil season three episode seven aftermath and he directed season two episode three of iron fist the deadly secret really good second season for iron fist and uh Tef Reiger did a great job over there um also worked with vampires again on two episodes of nosferatu ah uh, yeah another show that we have in our queue to watch as well so yeah great stuff mm-hmm. yeah and um, i this this episode was um for me a real grower um I think it, it, it felt a little weird uh, to begin with, um, mm-hmm. but certainly um, on, on rewatch, uh, I, I really took to this uh, episode. Uh, I thought it was really clever. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, once again, written by showrunner John Logan. And I will say I'm a terrible podcast host, John. No, you're not. Because <laughs> guess what? I've been talking for two full seasons of Petty Dreadful and forgot to mention that this season we have our first credited staff writers on each episode of the show. The staff writers of Andrew Hinderaker and Kirsty Wilson-Cairns were brought on board at the start of Season 3, or at least given a credit from Episode 1 of Season 3. Every episode has had these two listed as staff writers, but I didn't see it in the credits of the of the episodes. And I've been saying the whole time that as soon as John Logan steps back and somebody else is helping him out, I'll mention it on the podcast, and I completely <laughs> forgot. So apologies, should have mentioned that back in Part 6. Uh, but Andrew Hinderaker and Kirsty Wilson-Cairns will be writing some episodes that we're going to be talking about as we go on uh, through our discussions. John, do you want to give us the official summary for this episode of Penny Dreadful? Sure. In order to better understand the plight that she has been given to deal with, Vanessa convinces Dr. Seward to hypnotize her so that she may relive her time in the clinic and remember her meeting with the master. In doing so, she discovers that the only person she ever saw in her room at the clinic was John Clare. AKA the creature 
aka the demon aka many many other characters in yes, this episode so while you may have only seen one person <laughs> he does embody a number of other characters uh, as you mentioned earlier on yeah this is an, a very interesting take on the flashback episode for the season we did have a flashback episode in season one where we made our first visit to the banning clinic and then in season two we had the flashback episode with joan clayton now now the same actress playing Dr. Seward in here. So now we have another flashback going back to Vanessa's time in the Banning Clinic and her time with who we assume is John Clare. We still haven't gotten his real name uh, in this episode. I think he's called the Orderly uh, in the credits for this episode. Yes, he is. He's yeah. the Orderly. Um, so, yes, another persona for um, John Clare. Mm-hmm. This time, his previous life before um he he dies and gets obviously reanimated by by victor frankenstein yeah. and and certainly you know we get hints of his his family life here he mentions his son he mentions his wife mm-hmm. that we have seen in previous episodes so far uh, in the workhouse yeah. on hard times uh, after their their husband and father uh, had had died uh, we still don't know the reason for that um, I actually was convinced that in this flashback, at some point, Dracula, the master, was going to show up um, and just snap his neck. Yeah. I was just always on tenterhooks here, waiting for John Clare to be kind of uh, killed uh, by these supernatural uh, vampiric forces. Um, and that, that wasn't the case. So uh, still to kind of learn how he died in the end. I don't think we've had that. But no, we certainly um, it was uh, really, really good stuff. And yeah. I suppose to take it off, this is my big moment. Um, mm-hmm. The season three flashback for Vanessa. As I said, it's it's a grower. It's actually quite intimate because effectively it takes place um between four walls, between mm-hmm. two people, um, between Vanessa and John Clare as her orderly. Um, and it very much is a grower um, and it, almost a stage play. Um, yeah, and it, it's really nicely done. I just love how this is done uh, with Vanessa being under hypnosis by um, Dr. Seawood and reliving her time at the Bannon Clinic mm-hmm. uh, in the padded cell. It just gets so good how Vanessa increasingly gets trapped within um her own consciousness as she has been hypnotized by by Dr. Seawood. And I, I love these moments where Dr. Seawood pops back into the cell as she's trying to connect with with Vanessa. And mm-hmm. over time, Dr. Seawood is saying, I've been trying to get you out of the hypnosis, but you're so far in, you are now lost within your own consciousness as you can imagine Vanessa being absolutely um, fraught to find out when did she meet the master in the Banning Clinic. And there's a great um, cigarette motif as well, where right at the start, as um, she's hypnotizing Vanessa, putting her under to try and find out uh, who the master is, um, she she lights up a cigarette. And then in one of the, the revisits in the padded cell, when she's saying, I've lost you. I can't get you back. You're, you're trapped within your own consciousness. And Vanessa basically orders her to, to bring her back. She says, I've been trying. And I, I've been using cigarettes to burn you to yeah, try and yeah. sort of shock you out of this, um, hypnotism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it's really good because at the end of 
the the episode when Vanessa finally is brought back to uh, reality and to the 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 real world in Doctor Seward's office. You see the burn on her hand. Mm-hmm. You see that the ashtray on Doctor Seward's desk is now absolutely filled with uh, cigarette butts. You can imagine yep. Doctor Seward being completely. Um, panicked by by this situation yeah. and and raking through a ton of uh, cigarettes through nervous energy. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Is you know you wonder what exactly Seward is hearing the whole time. Is she hearing Vanessa's really descriptive version of what's going on in in her mind? You know, it, it gave me that kind of reminder of a good Nightmare on Elm Street. There were, what, nine Nightmare on Elm Street films? But that kind of interesting one where someone gets locked in a dream with the monster and they can't break out and the other characters are are trying to force them out of their dream before they get killed by the monster, effectively. So I love that kind of tension that you have of what exactly is going to happen in here. She's back in her memories, but she's present enough to know that she's there, reliving the memories, but also kind of doing it from a different style because she's got the guidance of Seward as well. So there's some interesting interplay where things are happening slightly differently than they would have happened at the time, but she's also reliving things that she didn't have a memory of before she went under hypnosis. So um, so interesting touches. You're trying to work out what's real here, what's actually happening, and what's a memory that she's locked off in her mind before her mind was taken out of her brain, effectively. Sorry. Before <laughs> that's, that's really confusing. Um, <laughs> before she had the lobotomy. That's a much easier way to say it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, for me, it was reminiscent of the movie The Cell, actually. But I, oh, right. I definitely get the the point with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Um, uh, the Cell was that kind of idea of playing with consciousness, trying to uh, find out sort of the motives of a of a serial killer mm. by using virtual reality and getting into the consciousness. Um, it was kind of part sci-fi, part horror. Yeah. Uh, had Jennifer Lopez in it, who I really liked. I really liked this movie. Although it was yeah. very visual, uh, but a similar thing of being trapped and Always the dangers. The movie, yeah. yeah, and the <laughs> dangers of being trapped as well yeah. within either your own consciousness. Oh, I think in the cell it was also getting trapped in someone else's consciousness mm-hmm. or someone being trapped in your consciousness. Um, it also had, speaking of Daredevil, Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, yeah. And he was excellent in that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, most things really fits it off your head. Exactly. This is, but this is kind of a similar thing. You know, you're trapped within this padded cell. The metaphor of um, a effectively a, a, a psychiatric ward, padded cell, being trapped, being trapped within the hypnosis, mm-hmm. and and ultimately, you know, Vanessa's goal is to find out who is the master. But I, I do like the moments where um, her and John Clare as the orderly, you know, he's telling her about to get well to get better Mm -hmm. he's saying well the next treatment's worse you know you run through these treatments that you saw in season one of the hydrotherapy the um the electrocution and the electrotherapy uh to moving towards the lobotomy and he's trying to pull her out of this he he says you're you're just not well it's science it's not superstition um and i i thought this was really good you know there's yeah. some really touching moments as well well she feels um, she's being tortured as well yeah. that's the thing and the way we've seen it is how brutal this version of treatment is the banning clinic because they don't believe what's going on and what she's describing so they're putting us putting her through all of these treatments um 
and it is the orderlies telling her, you know, these are these are treatments. These aren't they're not just doing it to torture you. Um, and you, you get the impression that Vanessa's not uh, understanding that at all and, do, and doesn't want to go through any more of the torture, um, but is forcing herself to go there because she's not um, kind of denying what she's what she's seen and what she's done. She would have had to deny it for Banning to say, OK, actually, you're safe and you can leave the institution. Um, whereas because she's not denying it, uh, I guess similar to Sarah Connor, maybe in Terminator yeah, 2, I, is it that kind of idea? You know, how can you deny something that you know is real? Because she knows she's had this experience, but nobody will believe her. So she's going to be continually tortured or continually put through these treatments. Well, that's the thing. He, he, he says it's not torture they're doing. It's science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of, again, you have these, this, these two dichotomies of the, um, the, the belief and the superstition yeah. of Vanessa and John Clare as the orderly saying, well, this is a process. They're trying to make you better. Um, and gradually over time, I think he realizes that whether he believes it or not, she believes it and that, that this is becoming torture and, and he leaves. But we, we get some really nice kindness here from John Clare as well. And it's, it, it feels very reminiscent of their, meetings under the railway arches um with with it where all the cholera is taking place but yeah. you know after the electrotherapy he effectively you know he brushes her hair he applies makeup he kind of pampers her a bit uh, and removes it before all the f- um the orderlies that are on the daytime shift come in and he's like I don't believe in god but I will pray for you um and you know he 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 very much um starts to see that you know you have to get better yeah um the next stage is they're going to turn um to to surgery and they never come out the same uh so th- there is this connection here within this hypnotic state between the two and i like that because oh. of um certainly towards uh the, the latter part of season two you have them having some really nice conversations mm-hmm. where the two of them yeah, in in their present day form, getting to know one another, but finding commonality between each mm. other. So I, I really like that. We had a question when we were talking about episode three, whether um, Vanessa would actually realize this is the creature that she spoke to. This is John Clare, who she met uh, back in season two. And I still get the impression that she still hasn't made that connection um, between the creature and this orderly that she, that was working with her. Um, Rory Kinnear is fantastic. Yeah, it kind absolutely. of crosses a little bit into my point as well, because I, I just think what he does within the scene, that moment when he, when he has taken the makeup off her and he says, you know, one day soon you will never have anyone touch you when you don't want to be touched and no one will put makeup on you and force you to do things that you you don't want to do. I just think it's a beautiful moment between the two. He's, he's so empathetic towards her plight but he has to realize at some point if she doesn't follow the instructions that he gives she will go to the bottom and he can't bring himself to watch her go through that and that's why he leaves i think it's just a a beautiful idea that that he is trying his absolute best to try and get her to accept the therapy that she's being given he's an orderly in the hospital you know technically he's not supposed to be this involved with a patient but he realizes if he sees that spark go out in her eyes he'll have lost something great to himself. Yeah. You know, I think he even mentions at a time that he took the job because there's no other jobs in London. This is a really impoverished time in London. He says he he's working here because there's nothing else and he's giving up the job, going nowhere else to no other job. So is this an indication that this is why his family are on the breadline? Because he's given up this job because he couldn't witness Vanessa going through anything and 
he couldn't get a job afterwards. It, you know? it probably is in conjunction then with his death, with his death and, yeah. you know, that they're, they're ultimately left destitute. But I, I think this is just a really great um, framing, a great bit of writing, this idea of between the worlds of, you know, Dr. Seward's consultation and Vanessa's own hypnotic state yeah. and what she's trying to recall. Um, and, and ultimately, and, until that moment within the episode, all she can remember is John Clare, is him as the orderly and, mm-hmm. and no other. And, and you're wondering, where is this going to go uh, until that moment where... Um, and I suppose this is connecting into your point. Yeah. You, you get the dark eyes come uh, mm-hmm. across uh, John Clare's own eyes, uh, very reminiscent of what happened to Sir Malcolm, where he gets possessed. And it's something we also saw back in season one. We saw Ethan possessed when we had that fantastic moment in the exorcism episode um, when he gets possessed, his eyes turn black, and he's speaking to her from, I think it's the voice of Lucifer. Is this when he, when the eyes go black? That's, that's yeah. Lucifer, right? I, definitely. I mean, here in, in this episode, his eyes go black. That's happened to Sir Malcolm and to Ethan, mm-hmm. and, and it's Lucifer. Yeah. And when Dracula arrives, it's, there is a redness to the eyes, so yeah. that you it you've got that black pupil, but then it's surrounded by red. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm taking from that that all the other possessions uh, of Sir Malcolm in the family home, mm-hmm. when he's with Vanessa, with Ethan during the exorcism or just before, yeah. they're all um, as Lucifer and Sir Malcolm in season two as well, where he upends his study. Yes, and um, as they're kind of getting close to the Verbus Diablo yeah. sort of decryption, uh, that. Uh, that's all Lucifer. So Vanessa here in this cell at this moment is is um, visited upon by Lucifer possessing the Orsley. Yeah, it's, it's such a good scene. Like when we have the whole series, really, the whole experience of Vanessa Ives boiled down to this one moment, really. It's, yeah. you know, we, we saw in season one there was the hidden master which we know now was dracula in season two it was lucifer who was chasing her soul and now we have the battle between these two brothers one who wants her soul and the other who wants her body and wants her to live at his side as her bride for eternity um not a great offer really that the two of them are putting on the table uh, it's quite interesting when they're saying to someone i suppose as caring and loving as vanessa hopes she is underneath it all i suppose and the two of them are offering similar paths for her stand at my side and watch the world burn is lucifer's offer yeah and stand by my side as the creatures of the night come out and suck the blood out of the humans of this world is dracula's offer to her so not great offers if she isn't truly evil underneath it all but they seem to be to feel that she is the foretold partner for each of them um yeah that they can fight over that one of them will win and she will become the leader of darkness in the future you know i know she's said the verbus diablo and she's massively changed by her murder back in season two but i like that she has this internal battle in herself as to whether she will follow the dark path and choose one of these two or follow the light path and fight against the two well it, it, it's really this this is re- really nicely done I, I i love this where the the two fallen brothers uh the fallen angels from the great of God visit her in this cell and you you have the shadow of the snake moving across oh, towards her and then when um Dracula arrives you have the shadow of the bat and and in in both cases Vanessa is drawn 
firstly to Lucifer across the floor where he's giving her the offer mm-hmm. and then the two of them crawl on their yeah, bellies across the floor and, like and then pulls fell. back and all the furniture is moved around as Lucifer's other fallen brother Dracula the king of beasts arrives um, and again she's drawn to him and, and plays up to him offering her neck mm. um, but I, I really liked how um, Lucifer seems cowed by, by Dracula yeah. it was kind of an interesting thing um, they have this kind of nice sort of um, sort of binary exp- explanation of it where it's like Lucifer feeds on souls and, and Dracula feeds on flesh mm-hmm. uh, one is of um, the domain of the spirit the other of the animal um, and, and one in reality and so actually where Lucifer is, maybe um, he's slightly sort of powered down in a sense because yeah. he's not in uh, his realm of souls and spirits. Yeah, maybe he, that's he, it, He's yeah. on Earth. Yeah. Um, but the, it, it certainly seemed that Dracula was the more confident here uh, of the two. Yeah. And I, I like how um, it's the, – the, there's that – uh, almost rivalry between these two brothers as well. Um, and it all connects back as to that Verbis Diablo where Mr. Lyle has explained these two brothers, Dracula on Earth, Lucifer uh, in the spirit world. And this is a really nice addition to the Dracula story. I don't I don't recall anything mm. where he is seen as being um a fallen angel, uh, a brother to Lucifer. Yeah. Um, so this is really a, a nice uh, bit of um, mythical update or um, new story that John Logan's bringing here, which he's brought since season two. And yeah. I, I really like it. I like the idea of it. Absolutely. There's certain, certainly a lot in vampiric mythology, I suppose you'd call it now, because so many people have written about vampires. There's certainly a lot about them being demons and a lot about them being demons possessing a human and then turning them into this version of demons. I know Anne Rice has talked about it in that way before. I know Buffy the Vampire Slayer had that idea of them being demons as well. Um, and they're possessing the human form. But the idea of the of the two of them being brothers, Lucifer and Dracula. I really love the concept of it. And as you say, I love the idea that potentially Lucifer feels less powerful than Dracula because you would kind of feel in mythology, Lucifer, the devil of hell, the controller of hell, the fallen angel with his army of fallen angels behind him. You would always think of him as being the more powerful and Dracula being, you know, a lesser demon who just sucks in the blood of humans, you know? So having the two of them being not only equals, but brothers and Dracula being possibly much more powerful because he's able to have Lucifer cower in the corner while he makes his bid for Vanessa, I think is, is a really good, interesting touch because you just wouldn't wouldn't see it like that you'd almost see the two of them pitted against each other lucifer would win in the in the versus battle between the two but you see the power of of dracula here it's yeah really interesting i think the other thing as well it's i like the fact that this moment with um lucifer and dracula is almost another level into Vanessa's consciousness as well, because this whole section within the padded cell is is bookended by John Clare as the orderly asking the question, so why would the devil be interested in you? Mm-hmm. Which is really nice. Again, th- these layers of consciousness that she's uh, falling into, and and it's all yeah, almost like Inception. Yeah, she needs <laughs> that jolt. Uh, in, in this case, that the cigarette butt doesn't work. But um, I, and I really like that uh, aspect to it as well. But 
ultimately Vanessa comes back a level by turning the tables on Dracula and Lucifer herself with... Uh, speaking the verbis Diablo. Um, and it all comes from Dracula saying, well, who are you to disobey me? And she's like, um, I'm nothing, no one. And it comes to just a blade of grass. Mm-hmm. Again, the blade of grass motif has been discussed previously yeah. uh, when John Clare brings her um, a, a children's poetry book. Uh, and I like the, also the fact that John Clare says, I don't really like poetry because he's so obsessed by poetry as the creature. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's that um, I am just a blade of grass. And she, you know, she talks about her protector being God. But it's it, it's a really interesting thing. And I, I'm not really fully clear on on the law or the superstition maybe. But, you know, she absolutely does have her foot uh, with... Um, and herself with God as her protector, mm-hmm. yet there is a an evil within her that she speaks as verbis Diablo. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, is this God's secret weapon as well? And that's why she needs the wolf um, to be able to turn the tables yeah. on Dracula and Lucifer with effectively their own trickery um, and... Uh, evil yeah well absolutely i think the the central mythology i suppose of of christianity is that we are all god's children but we were given a choice to choose either the path of good or the path of evil and throughout this kind of recap of what's going on with vanessa throughout this what we're hearing from both lucifer and dracula is she must make her choice to go to them they can't force her to go with them and she is choosing the path of righteousness she's saying my soul is mine alone. And she said this back in episode eight yeah. of season one or episode seven of season one. She said, it's my soul. I choose to keep it and you will never make me give it up. And here she's saying it again. She's saying, my God is the one that I follow. He's my protector. And I'm still not making the choice to go with either of your plans to burn the world, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, which I love. It, it's, it shows that power of the character of Vanessa because she still believes I'm just a blade of grass. I am nothing. God looks at me at a blade of grass and you think that's a bad thing but I belong here and I'm able to make my choice and my choice repels both of you. And it is fabulous. Really, really good, strong one. Um, that's that's my big moment from the episode. And that's your big moment. Just to kind of wrap it up. Uh, for me, this episode is the reason why it's so good is because you could put this on stage and call it Penny Dreadful the entire series and have three actors in the roles. And that's it because this battle is boiled down to this moment, really, before Vanessa. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you don't really need anything else. I love all the other characters, and I love the story of the three seasons, obviously, of course, but having this battle raging in the mind of Vanessa with just those two other characters is great. And I must say, I can see why Rory, Rory Kinnear is coming back for City yeah. of Angels. If he's given stuff like this to do again, he'd work with John Logan over and over again. Definitely. I mean, this is the heart of the matter, isn't it? Mm. This is why there is the company around Vanessa of Sir Malcolm, of Ethan. Okay, they're, they're, they're flung to the, the corners of the, the world in, in this season. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's an interesting kind of uh, switch that she is now having to fight it uh, alone. Uh, and I, I, when she is pulled back into Dr. Seawood's uh, office, you know, she goes, I, I'm no longer... Um, afraid I have a name his name is Dracula and it finishes on that and it's that this person who is um, baiting her is the scourge of her and has been nameless and that's part of his power Mm -hmm. and now she knows who uh, he is what the name is and can begin to find out about uh, this 
this being, this fallen brother, um, Dracula. So really, really nicely done, I, I thought here. Oh, it's fabulous. I love that. That's the response to Dr. Seward's uh, comment to her before that um, we name things so they do not frighten us. I am not frightened. It's such a, a powerful little moment from Vanessa. There. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. Uh, any other notes on this episode before we close, Matt? Um, just simply the, the little model ship that we saw in the workhouse, I think, in episode two or three. John Clare talks about the model ship being built with his son. Oh, very good. Um, and uh, I thought that was uh, really nice here. Um, it's just a nice little touch between these two um, aspects of of John Clare. Um, and again, I think for me, I really want to know how John Clare died. Obviously, some massive uh, facial scarring, so I presume it wasn't pretty, but um, uh, really, really nicely done here. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I love the touches of bringing stuff like that back to the show after after episodes. Uh, you know, I think that's something that that they do quite regularly on uh, on Penny Dreadful. It's really cool. Um, I did like the kind of antagonistic moment between Lucifer and Dracula, where Dracula says to Lucifer, um, "I know I exist, but do you exist? If people don't believe in you, will you just collapse and fall apart?" I think that's a really interesting kind of attack on lucifer um it's something that reminded me kind of of american gods the neil gaiman story the idea that gods disappear if if their worshippers disappear so lucifer needs to continually stoke the flames of who he is and and gather more and more followers to keep him alive whereas dracula is kind of saying well i'm alive because i suck the blood of people and i kill people I, i know i'm here do you know you're here? I think that's quite an interesting, uh, interesting kind of antagonistic relationship to the two. Well, that's it. I think it, it comes back to that he is in his element because he can feed on the flesh, mm-hmm. and that's where he draws his power. Lucifer can only effectively. We're being told by Dracula he consumes souls, yeah. and and he's out of the spirit world, so he can't consume it. I think if the tables were reversed and Dracula was in lucifer's domain i mm-hmm. think you would see that lucifer is more powerful, Much more powerful. Yeah. um and i think that's to the interesting point that in the in the the real world in in the uh the world made flesh i suppose and uh, to speak biblically about it <laughs> um it, it's that lucifer's power can only come from being believed in yeah and um, because he's got nothing to feed in he feeds off that that spiritual energy of people believing in him yeah. but it is it's really nicely done and yeah. as you say really connects into uh the american god um book by neil gaiman mm-hmm. about whether you know some of the ancient uh gods or lesser known gods like like with thor with the uh, in in norse mythology um in, in terms of uh anansi uh within african mm-hmm. mythology and, and re- spirituality that the um e- even the the genie from um middle east uh, mm-hmm. mythology uh, that these have lost power because people no longer believe yeah. uh, in them but yeah. thanks to disney their power is returning yeah <laughs> Well, exactly. Maybe yeah. they'll be at a Nancy <laughs> movie coming soon as well. Um, <laughs> so final question on the episode before we close it out. One thing that was popping into my head, because this is a very interesting mechanism of how they're going back into Vanessa's mind. It's the hypnotism. It's her remembering things that maybe she had locked off in her mind before the lobotomy happened. Is this a power of Lucifer and Dracula that they can possess someone? So did they actually possess the orderly? Or is this something that happened in Vanessa's mind where 
both of them were having a battle within her mind and what's happening on screen is we're seeing this play out with the actor Rory Kinnear playing both parts. <laughs> I, I, I think that is the 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 big thing. We we have the um, familiar say to Vanessa that you have met the master before mm-hmm. um, in the the white cell. So I think this did happen. Yeah. But she with the lobotomy with all the therapy, it's something that has gone from her memory. Yes. So yes. I think it is something that she is seeing. And maybe with the Dracula, because his his control of other people, normally it's the idea of mesmerism, mm-hmm. so that he has maybe mesmerized the orderly, whereas Lucifer has possessed him. Um, and that's how it, it's coming here. Right. But again, it, it could have been in... A, it could have been in two separate instances, but here it's been brought together yeah. in her mind. And I, I think it's that she is receiving kind of the messages from Lucifer and Dracula within her brain. And this is how she visualized, it, yeah. I suppose, is using the orderly. The reason why I say that is just because I don't think she mentions after this happened. She's still Compass Mentis. She has her head shaved. She goes back one more time to say goodbye to the orderly almost in her in this hypnotism. Uh, she stays within the hypnotism to say, to say goodbye to the orderly as he's about to leave. And she never mentions it once. She never talks about the possession in any way to no. him. So it, it feels like this was a visualization of what happened using the mind of the orderly. Um, so. Because within within the padded cell, he asks her the question, so why would the devil be interested yeah. in you? And then after that, he asks it again. She's zoned out. So I think this is another level within the consciousness. Mm -hmm. So he was never there. There She is visualizing it. Yeah, Yeah. because it's interesting. I'm just wondering, you know, are there going to be instances in the last couple of episodes where Dracula possesses somebody else beside her, like Lucifer had done with Malcolm and Ethan in the past? Yeah. But he may not. He may not be a power of his. It's just a question I had after watching the I think Dracula's always been about mesmerism yeah. rather than possession. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And controlling people to do his bidding yeah. rather than possession. Yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff. That's it for our discussion of A Blade of Grass, the fourth episode of Season 3 of Penny's Redful. We'll be back next time talking about Season 3, Episode 5, The World is Our Hell. <laughs> <laughs>